so much, Elizabeth and uh, Karen, and thank you very much for the invite to, to be able to, to take part in this series. Um, you know, Agape Latte is such, uh, such a terrific treasure um, that we have at BC and as part of the C21 Center. Um, and it's delightful that we're able to, um, to be able to, to continue that tradition, albeit in the Zoom format here. So first things first, uh, before I dive in, um, I just wanna uh, start out with a cautionary tale of my internet. So I am positioned in my house in pretty much the best place for it to be quiet and also still have pretty good internet connection. And I think everything seems pretty good right now, but I usually, you know, when I was teaching in the spring, there would be a little thing that would pop up on my screen that would say, your internet is not stable, or your internet connection is not stable. And usually I would be getting that message like a minute or two after I was freezing up for, for y'all who are watching this. So fingers crossed that, um, that everything holds up. If there's a problem or whatever, and I get shut out, I'll pop back in just as soon as humanly possible. And I, I apologize in, in advance on behalf of, uh, RCN Telecom Services, which uh, furnishes our internet. Um, so um, with that aside, uh, you know, I, I want to start off just by um, wishing uh, all of you uh, who are attending tonight, um, all of your families, all of your friends, all of your loved ones, um, my prayers uh, for both health and serenity. Um, these things are uh, very much in short supply uh, this year. Um, and, uh, you know, the two obvious worst things about the coronavirus, um, the just cataclysmic loss of life and the, um, the economic wreckage um, that it's, it's dealing people, uh, um, that it's, it's dealing people, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, um, you know, touch upon, I think, those, those ongoing tragedies and that ongoing suffering um, it won't be in the foreground. Um, but, but again, I, I hope that um, if you've been touched by, by either of those facets of, of this uh, calamitous year, um, I hope that you're finding some, um, some means of serenity and hope uh, as that uh, takes shape. Um, also, as with all calamities, um, I think we have to acknowledge that the brunt of the suffering is borne by the poor and the marginalized, um, both here and abroad. Um, and so uh, I also extend uh, my prayers um, uh, to those who, who find themselves um, acutely um, traumatized by um, the events of this year. Um, again, those won't be at the kind of forefront of, of what I'd like to, to chat about tonight. Um, I envisioned talking for about 15 minutes or so, and then, um, and then I would actually love to open it up as, as much more of a conversation. Um, I, you know, I welcome any questions uh, about the talk or just, you know, sort of anything about life and, and sort of faith in general at this point. Um, but I'd certainly also love to throw some questions out to, um, to you and to find out kind of where you're at um, with uh, how everything's going at this point uh, in the year and, and as we prepare for um, reconvening on campus uh, in just a, a few short weeks time. The, the, the topic of, of the talk that, uh, that I wanted to, um, to give uh, tonight to start off with is patience, um, which is somewhat ironic for me to uh, be uh, trying to give you a talk about patience because uh, I struggle with patience and um, maybe you do too. But 
the more that I try to make sense of what this experience with this, this dismal year of the coronavirus um, is trying to, to teach, it's trying to teach me at least, the more I keep coming back to the value of patience, the dynamics of patience, and the challenge of patience. Now more on that in a second. Um, I want to start off instead with, uh, with a figure, with a statistic. And you know, let's just go ahead and be interactive right from the start. So if you're able to, in the chat, I'm curious. I'm curious, how long, and you can just put this into the chat field. I just want to take a quick snapshot sample of, of, of the crowd here. How long do you wait for a web page to load? You're on the internet, surfing around, right, on your phone, whatever, on your laptop. In the chat, if, if we're capable of doing this, um, I would love to see. I would love to see like how long you would sit there and wait for a web page to load. Four seconds, seven seconds, eight seconds, three seconds, ten seconds, a few seconds, four to five seconds, ten seconds, ten seconds, fifteen seconds, seven seconds. Okay, three seconds. Okay. Now most of you are liars. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, no, you don't wait that long, right? In fact, the, according to some Google Analytics research um, that I, I checked out for this, um, more than half of Americans won't wait more than three seconds for a web page to load, right? I think that goes a long way toward explaining where our patience has gone, and in particular, why I struggle with patience and why I think maybe you might struggle with patience um, as well. Um, there's, there's an old joke about uh, if all you have is a hammer, everything in the world looks like a nail. So I study media and technology. And so in a way, that's all I have intellectually and conceptually to understand the world. So everything looks like a consequence of media and technology. And for me, I think that media and technology um, weans us on a certain, um, a certain uh, pace of life. Um, it it, 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 it uh, weans us on a certain expectation about novelty unfolding. Um, our, our gadgets, our, our, our smartphones, uh, you know, uh, um, um, the technology that we surround ourselves with, it gets us used to the experience of time at that pace and at that rate. What I'm arguing here is something that I, I often argue in my research and I argue or I, I put, put forward in a lot of my classes, which is that we shape our media tools. We create them, right? We, you know, we invent, well, I didn't invent this, right? Steve Jobs invented this, right? We invent these things, we shape them and then they in turn shape us. They create us, they condition us. They orient our scale of perception, right? They, 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 they format the bandwidth of our thinking and our values. And I think one of the most powerful ways that media exert power over our lives is by defining our relationship to time, right? When and how fast the world is supposed to happen, right? And so one of the things these devices do is that they give us this endless assault of information and entertainment. I mean, as just an aside here, being a professor 
nowadays, in some ways I've got to believe it's just so much harder than 50 years ago because I have to compete against the internet, right? I have to compete against every single thing that's ever been recorded and written, right? That's all right there at the touch of a button, right? So, but that's just an aside. Um, the media, traditional media and certainly social media never ever ask us for patience. And so what I think we've been going through, among other things, for the past five months is a vast emergency experiment in converting our social experience into these two-dimensional pixels, and yet everything else is frozen out, demanding our patience, right? As we've been forced to socially distance. And social distancing is perhaps two of the ugliest words that I can fathom. Um, and certainly after five months of it, um, you know, I believe that's the case. But I, I don't want to emphasize technology too much in trying to understand why we are impatient, especially for what I assume is, is a crowd mostly of, of college students. Um, I think age, particularly the age that I think a lot of, of you all probably find yourselves at, um, you're probably especially prone to impatience, right? Because in many ways, the age that you're at represents a liminal a liminal state, right? An in-between state, right? For people in their teens, in their 20s, there's a kind of temporary nature to life that naturally lends itself toward impatience, right? You are living the in-between, even in normal times, right? Like leave aside the, you know, the, the trauma of, of this year, even in normal times, you're, you're experiencing this in-between phase, right? You're going somewhere, but maybe you're not exactly sure where that is yet, right? And everybody's constantly asking you and structuring your experience around where that place will be, right? Especially for our seniors, our graduating seniors, right? You're constantly asked, like, what's next, right? What's going to happen next? Where are you going to go? What are you going to do, right? And, you're, and for many of you, you're, you're probably like, I don't know, right? Like, if I knew, I'd tell you, right? And I'd get there, right? Again, to maybe less extrapolate and, and just bring it back to my own experience, um, Impatience for me during those college years was the source of serious mental health challenges, right? Like impatience was the thing that landed me in the hospital with panic attacks, right? Where I was like, something's wrong, something's wrong. And the paramedics and the doctors were like, dude, you're fine, just chill, right? Impatience drove so much of that anxiety, right? wanting to get through time faster than time would naturally um, allow, right? Um, I, I actually in college can very distinctly recall as a way of trying to battle back this impatience, like writing on a note card in my wallet and just, it just said, step off the treadmill, right? Be where you are, right? And it's hard to be where you are when the place where you are is that liminal state, right? neither a kid, not yet an adult, like somewhere in between, right? Um, one of the things that I think was most instrumental in helping me cultivate patience was one of um, the, the most influential mentors I've ever had, who I encountered uh, when I was studying abroad my junior year in Tokyo, Japan. It was this French guy, um, professor at the university. He was a Jesuit. 
And he spent his whole life and his whole career studying Buddhism. And I was taking a lot of classes in Buddhism from him. And he was teaching the practice of meditation to students on campus, which has maybe as its number one goal, patience, right? I mean, meditation has many, many benefits, but patience is the goal and the benefit in many ways of, of, of meditation, right? Trying to concentrate your mind on nothing at all but your own breathing for minutes at a time, right? Your mind is impatient though, right? It, your mind, we, we've got these well-developed, you, know, uh, you know, evolutionarily sharpened minds, right? It wants to jump around, right? It wants to like constantly jump to the next thing, right? I, I'm, I've, you know, for 20 years I've been, since, since I, I, I had this mentor, I've been trying to, trying to get, get good at meditation. I'm not good at meditation, right? I keep trying, right? 10, 10, 10 minutes most days when I wake up, right? Some days are good, you know? Some days are bad, right? My, my mind jumps around, right? The days that are good though, there's a way in which patience cultivates a presence in the world, right? You kind of space out. Your, your brain goes kind of dumb for just a few minutes, right? There's a, there's a clarity. There's a, like a weightlessness. There's an emptiness, right? You're sort of there, but you're sort of not, right? You're perfectly patient. Now, back to this, this sort of moment that we're in now. It's March. Campus is evacuated. Um, my daughter's, uh, I have a, a first, she was in first grade this last year. Her first grade school shuts down. Um, it's a shelter in place moment, right? Um, the first day that all of this is unfolding, that, that, that we realize we're gonna be, I'm gonna be teaching my classes from home. My daughter's gonna be taking her first grade class from home. I go to the fridge and I put up a sign on our fridge that said patience right? Because we were going to be reduced to this, this home space for who knows how long, right? So you had to have patience with the limits of just like, you know, especially in those first couple of weeks, it was like the only thing you could go out and do is just like go to the grocery store, right? Or like, you know, try and sneak in a job, right? So you had to be patient with where you could, you could go and, 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 you know, there's a restlessness that pushes against that. A patience that you have to have in your interactive and, and sort of social experience, right? Because First of all, you're only, when, when you're frozen out, right, because of social distancing, really the, the only people that you can interact normally with are the people that are in your immediate vicinity, right? Which is just, for most of us, it's just a handful of people in our households, right? Um, and even harder still for, for folks who live alone, you know, it's, that's, that's even more traumatizing, right? Um, you know, patience of the unknown, right? Early on, we, we didn't know what was gonna happen with, with the spread of the virus, right? And certainly, patience in terms of as we enter into this new school year. Um, I, rec I recall one of the first uh, days that like the, um, the shops opened up or whatever. And I actually, I, I happened to be in a different city and I, I went to a store or whatever. And it was just like, a, it was like, a, I, I need new running shoes. Cause I, I just, <laughs> one of the ways I was trying to get some energy out cause I'm restless, right? Is I was just running through my, running through my sneakers. So I need to get some new running sneakers. And I went to get some new sneakers and the line was like around the door just to get into the, like the sneaker shop or whatever. Right. And it's just like, okay. So I, I asked the guy like, how long do you think to get into the, the, the Nike shop or whatever? And he was like, well, 30, 40 minutes. And I was like, okay, patience, right? Patience is so much of what COVID is demanding of us, right? Patience is so much of what 
COVID is trying to teach us, right? Patience goes down to the, even the patience of like the lag time on Zoom, right? Um, you know, I say something and you catch it like a couple seconds later than it would normally be the case if this were like real normal times, right? So you have to just like wait a few seconds, you have to wait a couple beats to see like, you know, how did that land, right? Like, I mean, again, you know, like in, in class when I'm teaching or whatever, I make a dorky joke or whatever, and I can, I can catch pretty quickly whether my dorky joke like landed or whether it like fell flat, right? And like on COVID, right, not only does it take like a second for it to like reach you, right? But then like everything's muted, so I'm only here to sort of amuse myself. But, um, you know, patience is, is, is going to be essential as we get back into this school setting. And, and, and more on that as a, in a second. But I wanted, to, I wanted to just bring up one passage because I was, I was looking through, um, you know, what, what, what the Bible could offer on the question of patience. And I, I want to just read very briefly from um, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 here. Um, so this is a quote from, from chapter 7 of, of Ecclesiastes. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. Just pause on that for a second. Like, yeah, like I mean, like, are they are you talking about the pandemic here? Like, yeah, like better is the end of a thing than its beginning, right? I keep going, and and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the hearts of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask that. Maybe patience is one of the things that coronavirus is trying to teach us, right? And maybe, and I want to leave with one last, um, one last possibility before I sort of open it up to some conversation here. We have been confined for the most part for the past four or five months to our screens, right? That's been the only means of social interaction or the, 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 the majority of our social interaction has taken place via screens. We have been, in many ways, trying to, we, we've been alone together, right? I, that's, a, that's, a, that's the title of a, of a know, famous book by Sherry Turkle, famous in, 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 in my context or whatever of, of media research. She wrote a book called Alone Together, right? And then she wrote this several years ago before any of this set in, right? But even leading up to coronavirus, we have been unknowingly and mindlessly drifting into social distancing for years, right? It's pre-coronavirus, it was a ubiquitous feature of the landscape that we took for granted. By that, I mean in classrooms, students like, you know, scattering their attention across browser windows when they're sitting in a lecture, right? at meetings with colleagues, right? Where colleagues are like checking their phones underneath, like checking their email, right? Underneath, underneath tables, right? Families at meeting, at, at meals, right? Where their faces are just like illuminated by the, by the flicker of their screen lights, right? It, it, it just depresses the hell out of me when, when I go out to dinner and I see like that's, that's, that's what a family's doing, right? One of the things that this pandemic might be trying to, to ask us, is was that what we really wanted, right? Was that addictive habit to our, to our smartphones what we wanted? Because that's all we've had for like five months, right? We have been weaned on that constant novelty 
that our devices give us, right? And the media, again, to bring it back to the media part, like the media that we have are incentivized for our, our attention and, 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 and trying to keep us hooked, right? So perhaps one of the, the, the hopes that I have of us coming out of this, right? Fingers crossed, knock on wood, prayers uh, lifted up, that when there's a vaccine, when there's a treatment, when we're back post-pandemic to some sort of like thing resembling normal, we might want, we, we don't go back to that normal, right? We were social distancing before. And it sucked, right? And all we've been able to do for like four months is social distance with our phones, right? So my point here is that having been forced to be really alone and having been forced to face that patience that's, ne that's needed in this moment, maybe when we get back to something resembling normal, our devices and our screens, they won't tantalize us so much with something somewhere else that's more interesting than the human beings that are surrounding us, right? Having been forced to be really alone, maybe we won't want to be alone together so much anymore. And maybe, just maybe, we'll have discovered some patience that will help us move forward and live, you know, more complete full lives. So, in my classes, I always like to joke, um, you know, if I'm talking for more than five or 10 minutes in my classes, it's a complete and total failure. Um, by that, I mean, I always like to have like interaction and conversation and people like disagreeing with me and like, um, and, uh, and patience, Serrazio, like that doesn't work with Zoom. So anyway, um, I'll open it up now um, to any, you know, questions or conversation. Um, <laughs> Well, as people are formulating, if you have questions, feel free to top in. But, um, you know, I, I would love to actually ask a question of the crowd and, and maybe somebody's, um, you know, willing to, to jump in and, and offer their thoughts. I mean, I, I am really curious. I mean, I, you know, I've had uh, somewhat limited interaction with, with students on email um, this summer uh, since class has ended. But, um, you know, I'm just curious, uh, you know, um, you know, how, how, uh, this summer has been for you? I mean, how, you know, how are you, um, how are you uh, sort of working through, again, the, the patience that is, is sort of been, been forced upon us as, as, as we go through this experience together? I, I'd love to hear, you know, where, where folks are at with, um, with how you processed uh, the months since, you know, since the semester ended, which, you know, again, I mean, in a normal year, um, that's a, that's that's more of a kind of a hard sort of break right you're on campus and then you know usually you leave campus to go home you know um and, and now it's it's much more like the semester just sort of ends but you're probably in the same place how are you how are you navigating um how are you navigating that experience i'd, I'd love to hear just ex experiences that people are having uh this this summer for me i guess like the quarantine time has been like a a good like family moment so to speak um because I think I have a younger brother, um, but when I went away to college, I think my parents um, 
uh, I don't want to say they missed me, although I think they did. Uh, maybe they missed my cooking. Um, they, it was just a good like family time um, to reconnect. But one question I actually had was, um, what do you think the role of patience is in like career discernment? Because I think a lot of us in college right now, that's a big, at least on my mind, a big, a big question. Um, and I'm usually impatient. So with career, I, hopefully I gain some, but uh, I'd like love to hear your thoughts on that. Such a great question. Such, such a great question. Um, and yeah, I think that, um, you know, I, I think that the impatience with, you know, career and job discernment was, I, I struggle, I, I empathize with that because I think that was in many ways the source of um, the anxiety that I struggled with in, in college. And I think, um, I think that, well, one thing that I, I tried to, um, one thing that I tried to, to disabuse my graduating seniors in particular, although it certainly I extend this advice to, uh, to all classes, but one thing I try to disabuse my graduating seniors of is um, the, um, the notion that you, you have to figure out a career um, at, at, this, uh, at this juncture. Um, because I, I think that, you know, um, and, and I say this with complete uh, playfulness, um, there's, there's a, bit of, a bit of hubris in thinking that you can know what your career is going to be, right, at this age, right? Um, and, and understandably so, right, because um, our BC students are um, motivated, uh, initiative-taking, focused, hustlers, I mean, y'all kill it, right? And that's how you got to BC, and, and that's that's proved successful for you. And I think one one thing that I try to caution my students to um, to not worry about as much is to feel like they have to have it all mapped out, right? Having a personality and cultivating the habits of mapping everything out is wonderful. Like that'll, that's, it's much better to have those habits than the opposite, right? Um, but those habits can also, I think, lead to the sort of anxiety of feeling like you have to have it figured out and you don't and you can't. And especially now, I mean, you know, God bless and, and God help our, our, our seniors who just graduated who, um, you know, I mean, everything's in disarray. Um, and to feel the weight of that pressure that they have to um, know exactly what their career is going to be like and discern that um, is hard. Another thing, I, another thing I, I try to encourage students to think about is, is maybe not like what, to try, not discern less what your career trajectory might be and maybe like, and even maybe less like what your job trajectory and maybe think about more about what experiences and skills and things that bring you joy. I mean, here I'm gonna, um, Father Himes, right? Uh, Karen, it's Father Himes, right? Am I wrong? Okay, yeah, I just wanna make sure I, I, I don't credit the wrong um, inspirational source here, right? But really, I mean, I, you know, what are you good at? What brings you joy? What does the world need you to be? Those are, those are the questions to ask, right? Uh, as much as like what, job am I going to have next year? Or what's my career going to look like down the line? Um, 
you know, um, for, for me, and again, I, I, when you're trying to figure out what you want to do with your life, think about it less in terms of um, maybe job or career and more in terms of abstract ideals, right? So let me just explain what that means. I know that's esoteric as I phrased it that way. Like I knew, I, I kind of figured out actually that like for me, um, one of the things that I really wanted a lot from a job was a sense of freedom, right? A sense of autonomy. Um, and, you know, that, you know, freedom and autonomy, um, you know, map onto a number of possible, like, practical, this is actually what you do to get a paycheck to get that type of jobs, right? But it also keeps you away from other types of jobs, right? But isn't desiring autonomy of work, um, and a lot of people wouldn't want autonomy of work because it's too lonely, right? I mean, like, you know, like, I don't want to say that autonomy is the only thing a person would want. It just happens to be, you know, my, whatever my psychosis is that, that desires that. Um, but it, it lends itself, if, if I know that that's the ideal, then the discernment around what concretely that translates to becomes easier, right? Um, you know, and, and again, other people would, that would not be an ideal, but I figured out fairly early on um, that was kind of an ideal. And, and as it happens, I've been just blessed and I, I thank God every day that, that I, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have, you know, have a, a professor job that, that I think enables, enables that abstract ideal to take shape. So, but, you know, Dennis, um, uh, 100% uh, here where you're coming from in terms of that discernment anxiety and that being a, a real challenge of impatience. So um, be, gentle with your, be gentle with yourself as you um, struggle with it and look for the kind of maybe abstract ideals that you're drawn to in terms of, in terms of, in terms of what, where, where you find, how you find meaning in the world, right? And, and, and those abstract ideals, um, you know, I think will, will help you along the way. But great, great question. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's good advice. Professor, I have a question as well. Awesome. Go ahead, Becca. Um, so if I can go back to, to what you were talking about, kind of along the lines of patience and how difficult that can be to cultivate right now and, um, sort of how we can combat that when we're faced with such a technology obsessed, like world, how, um, how have you been practicing patience right now? Like with everything going on, like, are there specific things you've been doing to try to be like more patient at home or just with the world? Cause I find myself like going stir crazy and wanting everything to be over and being sick waiting. So like if you have any advice or wisdom you could share with us about that. Absolutely. Um, I have thoughts. I don't know if they're wisdom. You'll have to, ju you'll have to judge whether or not it's wisdom. Okay. <laughs> um, so um, a few things jump to mind. Um, one, and I instituted this sort of early on after realizing how wrong I was doing it, um, back in like March, like late March, early April, things were like, I'm not gonna say things aren't scary right now, but like that was like early in the crisis, right? And, um, and I was like panic reading the news, like, you know, every, you know, every 20 minutes, right? And I, I mean, I'm already, you know, by, by, by training and by interest, I'm already a news junkie. And so I'm, I'm always consuming as much news and information, current events, things like that as I humanly can. So that's, that's my natural inclination. But like, it was unhealthy. And it was unhealthy in a way that like, the more often that you consume the news about the world, the more it skews 
your capacity to have wisdom about it. Um, which is why I think like something like Twitter is, is, is for the most part complete garbage because again, it, 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 it um, cultivates a certain sense of like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, right? It's just, it keeps you on edge too much. So point being, as I was like reading too much news too often, I, I realized after a couple of weeks that, and I was, and I was like having like chest pains actually like early on, Julie and I, my wife and I like both like, were like, do you, guys, do you feel it's like chest pain or whatever? And both of us were like, yeah, like what, I mean, I think it's COVID, right? And it didn't turn out to be COVID, it was just grief. Um, we had to um, basically, like I consciously, I was like, only checking the news in the morning, uh, at lunch, and at the end of the day, I'm like turning off the news in between those three times. There's nothing that important that can happen, right? And so that was one thing that I did. Um, the other thing that I did, you know, I mean, and, and this, is, this is not even unique to, to, to the pandemic times, but be thoughtful about your social media habits. Um, I, I, teach a, I teach a whole class in a, a, a one credit class uh, called anti-social media that's actually devoted to this question. But um, like, you know, social media is, a, is, is, as I know, a huge way in which you um, get information about the world and your friends and things like that. Um, you know, just being thoughtful and being reflective about like how it actually makes you feel. Like um, I realized, uh, you know, after um, a couple months of the pandemic that like uh, Facebook, which, which, you know, I've, more or less been dwindling on i was just like this is just like i'm just getting the most garbage from facebook like like twitter it's like i'm just gonna shut it down right so i so i i check facebook like once a week basically mostly just to see like if there's any cute cute pictures of like my friend's kids that they posted right that's more or less what it's become at this point when you hit a certain age in life um facebook is just like your friend's baby's book you know a picture book um so, you know, um if if a if a um you know if you feel like a social media platform is not um, is not leaving you with the right feeling, um, reflect on that and like trim it out of your diet. Right. I, I really think that like we have to treat our media habits pretty similar to how we treat our food habits. Right. It's, it's a diet, right. Your information is a diet and, you know, being aware about what and when you're putting in your, your mind. Right. Um, is important. So I, I, I've trimmed down social media usage as much as I can. I trimmed down news consumption where I can. Um, you know, I mean, the other thing too that's, and, and I think Dennis mentioned a second ago about how this whole experience is in many ways, um, we're around family a lot more, right? And so, um, you know, I, I've mentioned here and, 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 and as I mentioned to anybody who I talked to for more than five minutes, I have, I have a, a daughter uh, first grade daughter who um, is, you know, the, 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 my re our, our reason for existence at this point. And, um, you know, being in the house with her for five months, because she's home from school, right, and can't see friends, um, has also forced a certain kind of patience and adaptability, right? And um, so, you know, like, when you play with a six-year-old, like, you have, or like, any kid of any age, right, you kind of just, like, have to, like, sort of get down to their level. I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I just mean that like, you know, like, like Lucy's not gonna wanna talk about like, you know, uh, John Bolton's new memoir with me, you know, like it's just not of interest to her, right? And so, um, you know, like at the level of like, when I'm playing with her, like, like quite literally, like when I play with her, like I don't want to have the phone on me, 
right? Like literally, I don't want it in my pocket. Like I want it across the room, right? So I'm not tempted to be impatient with our interaction and our playtime and to be drawn out of that, right? And so, you know, um, patience is all about being in the moment. Um, and so many of our technologies, again, not to beat a dead horse on this, but so many of our technologies take us out of the moment. Um, and so, you know, playtime with Lucy, I think is another way that I've actually been able to cultivate patience, right? Like, like now, like I'm able to do, like I'm able to, like these days, like I can do like an hour of like Barbie scenarios, right? And I've cultivated an array of like voices, like my accents and like my silly voices that go with different characters or whatever. <clears throat> like back in March, if you were like Serrazio, like you gotta sit down and do like an hour of Barbie time. I would have been like, no way, man, I don't have the patience for that. Like I can get, I can give you like five or 10 minutes, right? But like, you know, like it's like, it's like a muscle, you know? It's like, it's like you, you know, keep practicing at it. But anyway, it's, it's a great, uh, it's a great question, Becca. Thank you for asking. Hi, Professor. Thank you so much for talking. I really appreciate it. Um, I guess I have more, I don't know, a comment or a question. Um, I guess like, in the years, I guess my whole life sometimes going to church on Sunday, I would be like really impatient in church. It's like, okay, it's like getting to be like 45 minutes long. We got to get out of here. Um, but during COVID, I don't know when the churches were all closed or where they were online. I really found that, um, you know, I wanted it to go longer and I, I felt like more like, um, I don't know, more patient and intentional about like going to mass and really being involved in mass. Um, so I appreciate like what you talked about, about really just like being in the moment and like cherishing um, what we took, what we took so much for granted, like in, in so much of our lives um, and church has definitely like really, um, I don't know, played a big role in COVID, um, especially when it was taken away from us for so long. Um, you realize like how important it is and how like, um, even if it is over an hour mass, like that's okay. And um, like you should embrace it and enjoy it. Um, but, uh, but that's kind of random, but um, that made, you made me think about it. Um, but thank you for talking tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you for sharing that, Shannon. And, and absolutely. Um... Yeah, know exactly where you're coming from on that. Um, so we go to we go to St. Ignatius, um, uh, the you know the the campus parish basically, and uh, it was probably about a month ago that we were able to reopen for masses. Um, and, and just as a side note, you know, I mean, um, you know, uh, like teaching, mass is just not the same on Zoom. I mean, it's just not like I mean. And I say that, and teaching is the same way, and, and you know, uh, 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 birthday parties, like, it's just, this is not, this is not real. I mean, I, I'm hoping, I'm praying that this is like, you know, this is temporary. <laughs> um, this is, you know, this is, this is like what the Matrix envisioned, you know, for, 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 for uh, this dystopia. Anyway, back to your point about mass. Yeah, so the first mass that, that, that St. Ignatius opened up, reopened for, um, I completely hear what you mean. Like, I just wanted to linger longer um, in that space with those people, right? Um, and like, we were all distanced, right? Properly, safely distanced and stuff. And it was like, um, you know, I don't know, I, I think this may be universal, but maybe not across the US or whatever, but at least at St. Ignatius, you know, they're doing the, 
they're doing the communion to go basically like on the way out right and so you know like i wanted to like i wanted to be like no like i want to go like let me back in like i want to just like chill in this space longer right um and so i hear you yeah there's a way in which you know and that actually I mean, when you describe that which which i hadn't thought as much about but like i wonder in some ways um whether our experience on campus as professors and students will mirror that same dynamic, right? So like, you know, like if you're in a class pre-COVID, right? Um, you're bored, right? The professor's like droning on, like you're like looking up at the clock, you're like, when is this gonna be over? I'm impatient, right? And you know, you describe, you know, in some ways that impatience sometimes with masks pre-COVID, right? Maybe, a source of hope is that like when we get back on campus like we'll all just be much more patient with each other in the classroom you know god knows we're gonna need it right um we're gonna need so much patience back on campus y'all like so much patience like everything is gonna be slower everything is is gonna be um like you're gonna there's gonna be lines to get food like it's it's just necessary right there's gonna be you know, it's just gonna move at a much slower pace. It's gonna demand so much patience, right, of everybody. And it's gonna demand patience with each other, right? I, I wanna say this too, just, you know, to, to, to you know, students here. Um, you know, be patient with each other when you're back on campus. Um, because we're all on the same team, right? We're on team human against this virus. And, we're all like, we all need to be like united in our fight against it. So like, I know, like, it's gonna be hard to like wear masks. Like you're gonna, like there are gonna be students who don't, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna be in somebody's room or whatever, they're not gonna be wearing a mask or like people are gonna be social distancing. Like, I know college students are not gonna like follow all the rules. Like that's, it's, it's okay. Like I, I have empathy for that. Like it's the age, you know, but, as you, if you, and as you admonish each other for not following the rules, be patient with each other because, because again, we're all on the same team as we go through this, right? We're all on team human against this stupid virus. And um, so, yeah, I would, I would, um, yeah, it's, it's a great, anyway, I've rambled now, Shannon, I apologize for that. But, um, you know, um, yeah, I, 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 I totally empathize with that sentiment. I was like, let me back in, Father. I want to get back in. Let me back in, uh, St. Ignatius. Anyway, uh, I think we have, you know, time for maybe one more question or, you know, if, if, if people are, are you know, uh, want to sign off, it's all good, too. I actually have a quick question, kind of going off of that a little bit. Um, so you talk about how the classroom is going to look a little different. I do some work with student admission programs, so obviously we're working with incoming students, and patience is always important with them as they get acclimated to college life, of course, but how do you think, with everything going on and how different college is gonna look like when we come back in the fall, that they can use patience to kind of help them make that transition a little bit more smoothly for themselves? For your for, for first years you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, oh boy. You know, I mean, yeah, my prayers go out to, um to them, to, to those students as well. I mean, on some level, um, I, I don't even want to call it an advantage, but if you're coming to campus as a freshman, you sort of don't know what normal looked like before you got there, right? And so um, in that sense, 
fingers crossed, prayers lifted up, it, you know, it, it'll just get better right, from like this year, right? Um, assuming again, we get, we get a vaccine and, and we can return to some sense of normalcy. But I think for, for incoming freshmen, there's going to be um, a real necessity for even more self-reflection about where they're at emotionally than usual, right? Um, you know, in, in normal times, um, you know, it's, that's a tough transition. You're homesick, you, you miss family, things like that, right? But in normal times, you're also sort of like, you've got this stream of novelty, right? That's coming at you that, that college life is all about, right? And, and that, that, that stream of novelty is, is gonna be attenuated this fall because of safety reasons, right? So, I mean, I think, you know, in many ways, I, I mean, I, it's a great question. And it's one of those things where you just kind of say like, I, I wish I had a silver bullet, I wish I had a magic answer. But I think that the more reflective and attentive that incoming freshmen can be with, um, with their own feelings, um, the, the better off that, that they will be. And, and, you know, to find, you know, to, to revel in those tiny victories more than usual, right? To revel in those moments of connection more than usual. To revel on the, in those moments of inspiration that happen in class a little bit more than usual. Because, you know, the fortunate thing is that I, we're, we're coming back to campus. You know, God help us. You know, we're going to stay healthy and safe. And, you know, but, but we can't take it for granted, you know? And... um and so all the things that normally we would take for granted, now we just have to like look at them as like treasures that we, you know, uh, are, are lucky to be able to have when so many campuses are closed, you know. Um, and again, you know, I think that the sophomores and rising sophomores and juniors and seniors are going to be um, a little bit more attentive to that, you know, compared to freshmen who, did, who wouldn't know what, what, what the heights looks like in normal times anyway. Um, but yeah, but but to really um, to be attentive to yourself and you know um, you know reflective and as prayerful as possible. But boy, uh, Laura, that's a great question. I, I I I as someone who works with the, that population, I wish you all the best. Um, you know, and uh, and I, and I see we're running out of time here. But just on that note, you know, um, in closing here, I just want to say, um, well, first of all, I thank you very much for everybody for, for coming out tonight. I really appreciate it. Um, but you know. Um, I uh, am always happy to chat. Um, you know, I know that I, 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 I don't, uh, you know, I've just encountered many of you on, on Zoom or whatever, so, you know, you don't know me from a stranger on the street. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, for me, the most important part of my job is uh, being there for students. It's the most rewarding part of my job. It's the most meaningful part of my job. It's the reason why I became a professor. And being there, in the physical sense means something very different this fall, but I'm gonna be on campus, I'm gonna be in my office, I'm gonna be around, I'm on email. So if you're struggling with any questions about patients or just you know anything else in terms of discernment, faith, things like that, you know, don't hesitate to hit me up. I'm, I'm always happy to uh, I'm always happy to be a listener. And uh, you know, I'm always I'm always I'm I'm around as much as uh, they'll let me be. Uh, you know, as long as as long as they don't uh, you know shut us down. I'm, I'm around as much as I, as much as they let me be. So, uh, I thank you again, uh, Elizabeth. And I thank you, Karen, for the opportunity to, uh, to talk with the group tonight. I thank you guys for listening. And, and I, uh, 
you know, I want to wish all of you and all your families, uh, um, you know, uh, my, my hopes and prayers for, uh, you know, a healthy and uh, serene uh, month and a, and a safe transition back to campus.